Good afternoon, and welcome to this week's episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, and uh, this week is jam-packed of information that we need to share with you. So uh, buckle your seatbelts and uh, hang on. It's going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. Uh, but uh, first, what I wanted to do is... Um, basically, you, you guys all know who I am, I'm assuming. You're not accidentally stumbling across this video for the first time today. Um, but many of you know Lori by name or by email or text or um, whatnot. Uh, some, maybe you met her uh, briefly at one of the Restore Freedom Initiative petition events back in 2020. But many of you um, that are more recent to us might not know who Lori is. So... Um, this is Lori. Lori, say hi. Hi. So it is, uh, although the Restore Freedom team at times involves um, many of the individuals that we initially had at the beginning of all this, um, for example, I'll pull in my dad on things or Joe Moss or Brian Bodie or uh, Rachel Atwood or a variety of people. Um, for the most part, the day-to-day -day stuff, maintaining the website, uh, putting content out to you, reading decisions, writing briefs, doing all that fun stuff is um, it's a three-person team. It's me, myself, and I. No, I'm just kidding. It's me, uh, Lori, and Mike. And we would love to drag Mike on in here, but uh, actually, hmm, Lori, if you, uh, while we're like um, fiddling around with stuff, if you can shoot Mike an invite um, uh, and ask him to hop on while he's able to during his lunch break, then uh, we can introduce everybody to him as well. Um, many of you have met him or know who he is, um, but for those of you who, like I said, are a little bit more recent and you've only heard me talk about him and never uh, show him to you, he does exist. He's a real person. Trust me, I've lived with him for over a decade, but um, <laughs> we uh, hopefully will be able to grab him in here. His lunch break is about this time-ish. Um, so at any rate, hopefully we'll be able to do that. So um Oh, let's see. I had, yes. Okay. First, I, ha I have so many things going on. My head's going to explode with all this information I have for you guys, but um, all right. So I'm going to jump over to the screen that I'll probably have to make bigger for you guys, but um, okay. First I wanted to say, well, no, I'm going to wait till Mike jumps on, but um, okay. So, um, one of the things I wanted to do was share with you some, um, some information about, so we're going over three, yeah, let me back up and say, okay, well, we're talking about a lot. I said that, but what are we talking about in case you guys, um, just maybe have it set to tune in to us at noon on Tuesdays and, um, didn't really read the description. Well, a lot happened in the last, you know, like seven days or less. Um, I can't remember when the first one came out last week, but I want to say it was uh, the 23rd. So five days ago, a lot has happened, uh, in our country. So, I mean, it, we're seeing huge life-changing types of things happen in um, every aspect of our lives, in 
government and the private sector at all levels of government on kind of a regular basis these days. It's it's pretty much been the norm since the beginning of 2020, and it's not all related to um, uh, to COVID or anything like that. But um, it, at any rate, what we saw in the last five days was um, the issuance of three separate decisions on three different topics from the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, we saw a decision on um, Second Amendment or gun rights. We saw a decision about religious liberty. We saw a decision um, that's Nuffy, not Rusty, for those of you who know. Let's not blame Rusty because we know he's old and doesn't bark. Um, but, but that was his girlfriend. Um, I'm sure Rusty's in the background getting all excited. Um, okay, so we have um, the third one is, of course, the decision on right to life. I'm guessing, unless you've been under a rock, you know about the right to life decision. That's the Dobbs case. Um, if you didn't know that the final decision was actually released in the last few days, you probably heard, I think it was a month, month and a half ago, when the draft opinion was released and there was this big kerfuffle about it. Um, uh, but, you know, there are some, some things um, that we need to go over for each of those. Here's the kicker. All three of those, in general, have an outcome of good for freedom, good for constitutional conservatives. Uh, overall, all three opinions uh, have that general outcome. However, all three completely missed the mark and all three have very concerning assertions or statements um, or findings, if you will, depending on the circumstance, um, for liberty, for the Constitution, for um, a wide variety of things. So although I am thankful for the overall, um, you know, result of these, uh, we need to approach each of them cautiously. And what I did not put, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't start with this in the notes, but um, I'll, I'll make it bigger so you guys can actually read it in a moment. Um, but um, what I did not start with in the notes is uh, the concept of states' rights and the difference between the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. But I noticed that somebody extremely handsome has now joined us. And uh, was it Rusty? Nope. It is even more handsome than that. It is my husband. Whoa, why am I bigger than you guys? Hold on a second here. All right. So for those of you maybe just tuning in, uh, or especially those of you who are new to us, again, uh, I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, also known as um, a mother of four, um, particularly the two troublemakers known as Alex and Emma. And um, I uh, am Mike's wife, although most people actually refer to him as Catherine's husband, but we'll go there in a second. Um, and Henry. Mr. Catherine Henry? No, 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 no. That's that somehow doesn't stretch to be uh, quite biblical in, in in my view. But anyway, um, so well, I'm here for my obligatory appearance, but you're interrupting my show that just started. 
and I really want to hear what she has to say about the, the important issues that have been uh, decided this week and, well, I guess this this week or last week. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to push pause on you just for a second because I wanted to catch people that were just joining us uh, to let them know who the three amazing people are that are on the screen. Um, so Lori, oh, wow, that face on Lori was just, um, she did not agree that we're amazing. But anyway, so <laughs> Lori is with us and you're muted. Um, I'm getting used to this. Um, so this is Lori. And uh, she's been with the Restore Freedom team. Let's see. I met Lori, I want to say roughly May 18th, 2020, actually sitting in Kevin Skinner's um, store in uh, the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And it was before I knew, well, actually, I had just kind of had the premonition, if you will, or the message that I needed to create this constitutional amendment petition. And it was before I knew anything else was going to blow up to be as big as it was. Um, so lucky for me, I had met Lori on that day. And uh, Lori, did we meet Lacey on that day? Was she there? Yeah, she was there. And it was actually the 26th because it was after Nuego because I went to Nuego to make sure you were real. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, there's so much so many actors out there and so were you acting or were you being sincere and it was very clear when you went to make your speech how real you are and you're just like everybody else you know that kind of feeling as opposed to somebody trying to ride a wave i didn't ever feel like you were trying to ride that wave you had to say right so away. So that's why it was worth going. Surfing. We're not talking about surfing today. She said right away. She meant politically or ethically. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Um, for some reason, I, I was I had those two memories of meeting you and meeting Lacey, uh, totally separate. But anyway, uh, Lacey uh, was also a very important part of Restore Freedom. We couldn't have done what we did without her. We wouldn't be here where we are today without her. Um, we use tools today mm -hmm. like Red and Blue and things that she was uh, integral in helping set up and get going. Um, but um, she has a lot of other stuff in her life right now, some family and some other cool things going on that uh, she needed to focus on a little bit more and so couldn't devote 24-7 to restore freedom for some reason, especially without getting paid. <laughs> um, so, and then uh, the last uh, introduction I wanted to give to those of you who, especially those of you who are new with us today, is uh, this uh, strange individual on the end of the screen here. Uh, his name is Mike. And uh, really the the um, the video feed is not doing it justice. My husband is actually one of the most handsome men I've ever seen, but he just kind of looks like an average guy. I was going to say an average Joe, but we know Joe and um, he's not average either. So anyway, um, enough of that. Um, I, oh, what I wanted to do is because I'm not sure, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to try to go live at noon next Tuesday, but we will likely be in our car driving up to Michigan for, you've guessed it, my Allegan County election day case. <sighs> yes. So um, 
at any rate, I may be cutting in or out. I don't know where we'll be. We'll have to figure out timing and all the rest. And um, so in the event that something happens with that, um, if I know ahead of time we're going to be in the middle of the mountains, I'll go live ahead of time and, and uh, replay it at noon or something like that. Um, but at any rate, in case we're just you know, losing uh, all signal or whatever on the whole drive for some horrible reason. I do want to um, publicly say a very early happy birthday to Mike because his birthday is July 7th. Uh, might explain why he loves freedom so much, so close to July 4th. Another person who loves their freedom as much as I do, whose birthday is also on July 7th, is Rachel Atwood, uh, one of our other Restore Freedom team members. And um, Joe Moss, the founder, or one of the founders of Ottawa Impact and Michigan Impact. He's a candidate for Ottawa County Commissioner, uh, a wide variety of other hats that he wears. He um, is actually someone that worked uh, closely with Ryan Kelly in starting up the American Patriot Rally, uh, which became the American Patriot Council website and, uh, you know, was getting people pulled together to do something, to physically do something other than just complaining online about what was happening in our state and in our country. Um, so anyway, uh, Joe Moss, his birthday is July 10th. Um, I don't want to forget, because I started to go a little bit out of order, that uh, Amy Ardner, who's also been an important part of the Restore Freedom team, uh, her birthday is in two days from now. Uh, and that was also my grandma's birthday. Um, and Amy has also been a good partner in the fight for freedom. But um, Don't forget I, one more important birthday coming up on July 3rd. Catherine Henry's birthday. Yes, Happy that birthday, was. Babe. Thanks, hon. <laughs> uh, I had a very, I would say, probably my most memorable birthday was um, two years ago because that's when we were going to participate in the door. Um, D-O-O-R, for those of you, um, no, D-O-R-R, -R, for those of you who might know it, <laughs> the door parade in, um, in West Michigan, and uh, found out that they were canceling it because of the threats coming down from the, um, uh, oh man, I was, I'm going to try to be kind. I was going to come up with something creative to say, but I'll just say uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel was threatening all the business owners who were essentially putting on the event for the parade that year um, and to pull their licenses and all this other um, fun stuff. So when I heard about that, I said, um, over my dead body, we will do this. And I'm gonna spend my birthday saving this 4th of July parade. And that's what we did. Um, thank you to um, several people in the media, but especially Justin Barclay. Uh, he had me on first thing in the morning on his radio show to talk about it and spread the word. And it was a fabulous event. I'm very rarely speechless, but let's put it this way. When Adam Heikola was sharing his megaphone with me so I could talk about the Restore Freedom Initiative petition while we were walking in the parade, I literally couldn't think of words to say other than hi and hello and, you know, talking to people on an individual basis, I, I couldn't think of words to say. So I had to hand the megaphone back to Adam and be like, uh, here, I guess, can you do it? I mean, can you imagine that me without words? Um, so with that being said, um, 
Uh, Lori, I assume you're good with watching the comments and letting me know if we have stuff we need to cover. Yeah, I was just going to say, did you see what Patty said on Facebook? Um, okay, so, oh, using the buttons, that's why you're here, Lori. Um, so Patty on <laughs> Facebook said, um, Catherine, what you have gone through has been insane. Do you think an average person with no law education that has an average job could possibly get through this judicial system? I'm going to say the average attorney with the average legal education cannot possibly get through the legal system because most attorneys don't even know the, the core functions of the legal system anymore. They certainly don't know uh, the Constitution or their own oath of office, uh, their job to protect and defend that Constitution and those God-given liberties. Um, and certainly the judges and justices, um, by and large, have lost their way. Even those that are good or conservative or constitutionalists um, have largely um, gotten used to the way things are and moved away from the actual language of the Constitution. Um, what I have been through, especially with Allegan County, uh, has definitely been insane. It's something I never would have thought in a million years would happen. Um, I have PTSD over it. My daughter has PTSD over it. I mean, she was six years old witnessing them violently arresting mommy for simply being present on public property uh, and um, trying to engage in a civil conversation with law enforcement officers who didn't care what the law said. Um, yeah, she's scarred. And uh, many people who saw it live that day are scarred. Um, I definitely myself have a yeah. different opinion of law enforcement and um, yeah, we were blue liners before this. I can't say that now, unfortunately, and seriously, I, that's very unfortunate. I think for the most part, they're good people, but they don't know their job and they don't know the law. Um, I just heard about something uh, that uh, sounds like it could make a huge difference. It's called uh, protectamerica.vote. It's from the people at uh, um, truethevote.org. But I think that's something worth looking up. Protectamerica.org. I'm sorry. Protectamerica.vote. I think that that's going to be something important. I just found out about it. Don't know a whole lot about it, but it's, uh, it's uh, they, uh, the people from truethevote.org are getting uh, a group of sheriffs together and they're trying to make a difference, uh, trying to educate sheriffs across the country. So that's about all I know so far, but look it up. Protectamerica.vote. So, um, we're always about giving you information and giving you resources. Um, it actually having you jump in in that regard, Mike, um, talking about the fact that, you know, we um, let me put it this way. I'm a cheapskate. I buy everything on clearance at the thrift store on half off day. Right. I mean, that's how cheap I am or Just not joking. Yeah, not joking. Um you know, I, you know, if I have to buy something brand new, it better be at least 90% off, uh, at least with a coupon on top of that. 
Um, so including my really cool American shirt from Eddie Bauer and you know, whatever. Anyway. So, um, with that being said, Mike and I, um, it's actually fairly recently, I'd say like 2017 or ish, um, 2016, maybe, um, I think it was right on the edge or right after, um, I had run for state rep in the state of Michigan and we were at a gun show and we met these great guys that are, um, uh, had been in the military. They were no longer active military, but they started this t-shirt business. And so, um, we bought some thin blue line shirts from them and we paid like, I don't know, $25 a piece. Like for us, $25 for a t-shirt. Are you kidding me? That's not what we do. Um, Mike is a little bit more lax on things like that, but I'm like, uh-uh, no way. Not even for a Green Bay Packers t-shirt would I do that. Not even if I was on Lambeau Field, maybe for an official jersey, but not for just a t-shirt. So um, we're, we were, you know, it was that important of a, Mike, did you really have to wear that ugly shirt? Of the two of us, I was actually the one born in Michigan. I gave birth to children in Michigan, but Mike, who was raised in Michigan, um, seems to think there's some benefit to wearing a Detroit Lions shirt. I mean, whatevs. It's not a Tiger shirt or Red Wings or Pistons. No, this is this is a Lions shirt. Okay. Anyway, um, thanks, Mom. I know you're not watching because um, you're a Democrat and you don't stand for any of the same things that I do. But if you were, thanks for buying my husband that shirt that Christmas. It was really appreciated. Okay. So uh, with that being said, um, you know, it did change. I mean, it, we felt that strongly about that kind of messaging that we would spend money on a t-shirt just to, to convey that message. But now I can't bring myself to wear it. I've, I pulled out the shirt a few times and I'm like, no, 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 I can't, I can't do it. And I had an, um, I have an American flag on my car that used to have the blue and the red stripes on them. Um, you know, cause that was, you know, years ago when we went on a vacation, um, that I bought that, but it was years ago when it was kind of the thing before they started really hammering on the flags, like with all the different, you know, for the paramedics and all these other things. Um, it was just, you know, firefighters and police. And I thought, you know, um, uh, firefighters and police often get a bad rap and I want to show my support for those people who serve and protect us. Right. So, um, I proudly put that on my car and it's one of those that really doesn't come off. Well, here we are several years later and it's on my car and I'm thankful that the sun has faded the colors away because now it's just, it's black and white uh, version of the American flag. And I'm proud of that. I'm, I'll always be proud of the American flag. Uh, but it is hard to focus on celebrating uh, police or law enforcement as a whole when so many bad things go wrong and um, they're the start of these often horrible situations. Um, so now obviously we know some of you are in law enforcement and um, we know that some of you are married to people in law enforcement or the military or whatever. And it's not our message to say everybody in law enforcement or the military is bad. Absolutely not. People who are actually willing to put their life on the line to serve and protect 
the people's interests, their God-given liberties, according to the terms of the Constitution, those are people that deserve far more pay than they receive, far more accolades, and far more respect than the profession has ever gotten. Um, our job is to try to figure out how to weed out those bad apples and be able to celebrate the good ones. Um, but uh, today we're not focusing on law enforcement, but it did, uh, Mike's comment did make me um, think though that uh, I don't think something, I don't think we've ever done this, um, but Mike, I'm thinking next week, what we should do is try to make it a point to pull over at noon so that we can go live where, um, well, Lori also will have to be there, but um, where she's like, yay. Um, but Mike, where you and I are both intentionally participating in the stream, where uh, people can hear from you the family perspective of what happened, what happened that day, what happened as it was unfolding, what happened as um, things, you know, continued to progress with this case. Um, the impact that it's had on you, uh, on our family, and basically that perspective and not just my perspective. So there you go. That's next week's topic. Hey, Lori, you get to figure out how to put that in words. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're both so excited. Can you see ah. on their faces? They're like, yay. Um, but I think um, I think it's um, important that we we share some of that with people. Mike, I don't know if you saw that, but um, you know how I was telling you that the straws are too long for that cup? I just stabbed my lip with that again. <laughs> Apparently, I can't figure out how to drink and talk and do a video at the same time. But I have an excuse. God given blonde hair. Okay. So, um, <laughs> all right. What, Lori? So, let's see. Yeah. I need to take off. I got to get some food so I can get back to work. Oh, you're getting lunch today? Oh. Okay. We'll do. And um, please uh, make sure if you can stay on, um, I'll, you know, you can mute yourself and you can, um, I'll, I'll well, take you out of the stream. For some reason, is this isn't coming through my earbuds. You're probably picking up the mic on my earbuds or uh, I don't know, maybe it's on the camera, but it, it's coming through the speaker phone on the, the phone. That's what I'm listening to. So I couldn't fix that. I don't know what's going on. Oh, okay. Well, next week we will have to have you involved then because um, I actually planned on having you sporadically give your comments on, on different things that are going on. But um, I guess the public will have to wait another week. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, thanks for coming on. Love you, and I'll see you later. Okay. Love you too. Bye. Bye, Mike. Bye. Okay, so, all right, Lori, I guess we will go ahead and get started. Um, and let's see. Okay, so we will uh, go ahead and turn to um, the, let's see here. There we go. Mm, maybe I can make it bigger. Nope, it didn't make it bigger, just moved it. All right, guys, bear with me. I just wish we could find an easier way to share things with you that made sense. Um, really quick, what I wanted to do, Roy, I have this part of the screen up, is I wanted to show, what? 
I was going to say maybe if you make that full, I'm pointing to it like you can see me pointing, um, make that full screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kept it this way just for a quick second because I wanted to show people that um, with a document that I shared with you, um, shoot, now I don't remember if I put this in the description of the video. Well, it's shared with you in... Uh, I can it'll add be it after. Okay. And it'll, it, it's shared with you um, in segments throughout the week. We're going to use it in a variety of ways. So um, you will have access to this if I didn't remember to put it in today's description or not. I, I can't remember. But at any rate, um, when you open it, it's a PDF. Um, it has all kinds of, you know, basically chunks or bullet points of the constitutional pieces that involve these three cases. But uh, what I wanted to do is tell you that over here, if you, if you have a, any kind of PDF reader that has the ability to see bookmarks, oftentimes you have to open something on the, I was going to point to my screen, Laurie, so they could see it. But anyway, um, to the top <laughs> left of your screen, uh, there's a way to display any bookmarks that are there. Um, you can expand that so you can see all the bookmarks and there's just four, uh, but I wanted you to be able to easily navigate this. Um, so you have Second Amendment gun rights, uh, religious liberty, right to life, and then the general oath of office, the constitutional oath. So I'm actually going to close that out. And then, um, oh, let's see here. Made it somewhat bigger. See, it does not. Hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. I remember, oops, sorry guys, I'm making you all dizzy trying oh, to get the screen all, oh, stupid The thing. last one you had, I think, was good. It is making it bigger. So I can't see really the screen at all when I do this, just so you guys know. But, um, Lori, how's that looking? Is that doing good? Do I need to make it bigger? No, oh, that's good, visual. Um, does it look choppy to you or is it just on my end? No, my eyes are going. Um, I can see it okay on, let me get closer. I can see it okay on my phone. Okay. Even, so it's good. So it must just be the way it's feeding back to me. But um, okay, so like I said, today we want to touch on those three cases that the U.S. Supreme Court has just issued big decisions on in the last week. Like I said, each of them are actually generally good for the cause of freedom and for the Constitution, but each of them does completely miss the mark in the bigger scheme of things when it comes to God-given liberties and constitutional restraints. And so we need to recognize the strengths and weaknesses of each of these cases and um, figure out where does it really leave us. So with that being said, I wanted to jump to that first case, which is talking about gun rights, and that's that New York, let's see, New York State uh, Rifle and Pistol Association, I think is what it was, um, and uh, those are the plaintiffs, and they brought a case um, challenging the regulation in New York, uh, the law in New York, that said um, you can't have... Um, a gun permit unless you can show some special circumstance for having to uh, defend yourself. Um, and I'm starting to, sometimes I don't like to paraphrase. I want to make sure I'm getting it correctly. So um, an individual, um, so basically the state of New York made it a crime to possess a firearm 
without a license, whether you were inside or outside of your home, you can imagine that. And an individual who wants to carry a firearm outside of his home has to obtain an unrestricted, so like a special license to have and carry a concealed pistol or revolver. Um, if, But you can get that only if you can prove that proper cause existed. Basically, um, that you have to demonstrate a special need for self-protection that's distinguishable from that of the general community. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure the Constitution and the Second Amendment applies to the general community equally. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Let, let's go ahead and talk about um, very briefly some of the pieces of this case and then apply that to what the Constitution actually says. So um, the court in this case, was, it, it talked a lot about a case, um, District of Columbia versus Heller. Uh, and so in that case, um, the court basically came up with, um, um, here, under Heller, this is the court referencing Heller, under Heller, when the Second Amendment's plain text covers an individual's conduct, the Constitution presumptively protects that conduct and to justify a firearm regulation, the government must demonstrate that the regulation is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Oh, I so badly want to start tearing that apart. But anyway, so basically, if you're um, if you have any kind of um, your conduct is at all, you know, relating to words that are covered by the second amendment. When the, when the language of the second amendment is clearly there and relating to that, then your conduct is presumptively, it's presumed to be protected by the second amendment. And then the burden of proof shifts to the government to show that uh, they have a good enough reason for regulating the conduct. And um, what the court is saying is that they have to demonstrate that the regulation has to be consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. So what has the country historically done to regulate firearms? Well, um, again, the, the <laughs> this case focuses and hammers on this test that they're calling it. This test is rooted um, in the Second Amendment text, but it's informed by history. Like literally, these are the words. Um, it demands a test rooted in the Second Amendment's text as informed by history. What does that mean? Judicial interpretation, that we're interpreting the text of the Second Amendment. Um, but we are talking about the plain text, the plain words of the Constitution. The, the court does talk about the plain language uh, of the Constitution over and over again, but somehow then as informed by history. Um, so it, it, um, it, again, what this is one of the good parts. It, it talks about that sometimes um, in our history, 
uh, courts have been scared to make big decisions about Second Amendment related topics. So then they just defer to legislative bodies because those are elected. Those are our elected representatives. And so they um, give legislative deference. And so whatever the legislature or, you know, Congress or whatnot has has come up with, they just kind of go tag your it. Uh, we don't have to touch this issue. Well, that's not their job. Um, but uh, this court, what it does is it takes a step away from that. And it says that um, the Second Amendment is the very product of interest balancing by the people. And it surely elevates above all other interests the right of law-abiding, responsible citizens to use... I can't even say the words in the correct order. Sorry, guys. The Second Amendment elevates above all un, all other interests the right of law-abiding, responsible citizens to use firearms for self-defense. So, I mean, there is a very good, obvious um, uh, interpretation here and, and emphasis on the actual words of the Second Amendment and that this is an important um an important amendment, a right that that really does focus on the right of self-defense. And um, the uh, basically the court then though, here's here's where they trip up. Again, they're saying, okay, so this test that we made up in this other case, Heller, we're going to apply that here today in this case. And then from now on, all courts, when they're looking at firearm regulations, uh, they have to assess whether modern firearm regulations are consistent with the Second Amendment's text and historical understanding. Yeah, that's where I start to have an issue there. Um, okay, but here's a good point. Okay, so we kind of go back and forth with good points and bad points. Here's a good point about this Second Amendment case. Uh, the court said that the Constitution can and must apply to circumstances beyond those the founders specifically anticipated, even though its meaning is fixed according to the understanding of those who ratified it at that time. But it, 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 to give you an example of what all those words mean, the court says that there's at least one way in which the Second Amendment's history, uh, historically fixed meaning applies to new circumstance. So, for example, its reference to arms does not apply only to those firearms in existence in the 18th century. I have heard that is one of the, I'm going to just say it, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard by people who oppose the Second Amendment. People who fight for firearm regulation left and right is, oh, well, you know, you can only, that only means that you have the right to, um, you know, to muskets and, you know, whatever else would be used um, in the 18th century. No. And the court explains that, that you have to fix the meaning um, of what the rights are. But as technology develops, as, you know, society, um, you know, there's new things that come about, new, new um, products that are developed and that kind of thing. Uh, you have to apply the text of the constitution to these new situations and figure out, okay, well, how does this apply? And basically you have to use common sense. Um, 
so the court then talks about basically that there is, and this is another good point, that historically, you know, uh, the use of different weapons and, and different firearms has changed throughout history for purposes of self-defense to the point where we can now say that in our recent history, um, the use of um, firearms, the use of um, um, pistols and, you know, guns uh, in the sense that, you know, a handgun and that kind of thing, uh, revolvers, those are what is meant by firearms. Those are meant by bearing arms. That is deeply rooted in the tradition of America um, as the technology and as the products have developed and changed throughout the years. Um, so also, um, I love this. Well, you, have, if yeah. you look up, uh, if you look up the, the word arms, plural, um, in the Webster's 1828, it says the very first thing it says is weapons of offense or armor for defense and protective of the body. So it doesn't define, it doesn't say what a weapon is. It's, it's however you need to defend yourself. It doesn't uh, say you can't have knives or you have the right to bear knives. It says weapons. Right. So, and that's exactly right. Um, sometimes I gloss over some of the, the beginning points because it's about what the, the text actually says. And so the text, you know, if you look at what did bearing arms mean back then, well, Lori just got to that point. And so um, being able to defend yourself and your community um, or your state, um, that is essential. That is the very essence of what the Second Amendment is all about. Um, so this was one of the, this is one of my favorite um, parts of this decision where the court is talking about um, that it has little difficulty. It has little difficulty little difficulty concluding that the plain text of the Second Amendment protects the two petitioners it's talking about, that it protects their proposed course of conduct, carrying handguns publicly for self-defense. So the court is saying it's not hard to see that the Second Amendment clearly protects your right to carry firearms publicly for self-defense. And you don't have to have some special circumstance to justify it. Um, so um, also a couple of things that I, I thought were good here I wanted to point out. The court says that nothing in the Second Amendment's text draws a distinction between home and public. Like you can bear arms for your own self-defense when you're at home, but when you're out in public, sorry. No, there's no distinction there. And um, the, uh, the definition the court talks about, the definition of bear naturally encompasses public carry. Now we're starting to really sound like we're going to go back to constitutional carry, uh, but we'll see. Um, 
So the Second Amendment, this is the court saying the Second Amendment guarantees an individual right to possess and carry weapons in case of confrontation. And confrontation can surely take place outside of the home. So those are good points. Um, and again, it talks about, okay, so that since that's the case, the burden then falls on the state, This in this case, New York, to prove that their gun regulation um, is consistent with the nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation. Um, it does talk about that not all history is created equal in terms of interpreting the Constitution. Um, so, and, and this is a good point. Uh, the court then says constitutional rights are enshrined with the scope they were understood to have when the people adopted them. So, I mean, I guess it's good and bad, but if you think about it in terms of scope as limiting our rights, well, then that's bad because then you don't understand the Ninth Amendment at all. Um, but if you think about it in terms of protecting so that those rights don't become diminished based on public opinion or political whatever, then that's good that we're enshrining those rights um, and protecting them. And as long as the emphasis is on that, then, then we're good. Um, quite frankly, there's a ton throughout this that I want to cover. And I realized, oh my goodness, we're already closing out the noon hour. So, um, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to let you know, um, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. My challenge to you is to pick one of these decisions. There's three court cases that are critical that came out from the U S Supreme court in the last seven days. I want you to pick one of them. And I want you to read the summary that the court puts out about the controlling opinion. So it's usually the first few pages, um, maybe on average the first six or so pages. And I've put um, the, um, I think it's in the description to this video. If not, it'll be in tomorrow's segments. But you'll have the, um, the link to the full opinion, which can be kind of hard to find online, but I've got them for you there. So you can find the text of the whole opinion for each of these three opinions, the, each of these three cases. And if you look at the beginning, it shows you what's called the syllabus, which in this case is the summary that the court generates to give you the highlights of the main aspects. Now, keep in mind, that's not where you should start and end your analysis or your you know, reading of what these cases have really done. I would love to talk all of you into reading the full text of all of these cases, at least these three, uh, from start to finish multiple times so that you truly understand them and can pull apart different pieces and understand um, you know, in the whole context, but I know most of you are not gonna do that. So um, I'd like for you to pick just one of these three cases and read the court's summary. So you're saying, you know, on average, like seven pages, and they're not even like full pages. When I say pages, um, this is one page. See how it doesn't even take up most of the page? Cause that's how they print them in the Supreme court, um, materials. So it's, um, it's really not a lot. You can do that. Okay. So, um, I will also, I do plan on, we're going to have obviously next week and, and the week after we're going to have some big things we're going to be dealing with live about, um, the Allegan County election day case. And, um, of course I'll have to continue updating you guys on any appeals and different things that I think come up that would help you in your own fight for freedom to understand what's going on there. 
Um, so we may have to push pause on some of these discussions for that reason. But I want to continue this discussion into July, where we're talking about these three cases and the different rights associated with them. Um, in fact, I may just keep hammering on, on the cheat sheets. Um, but basically, the if you look at this gun decision, so let's just the takeaways from each of these three cases, okay? The takeaways are um, this, the Second Amendment case that was issued um, just last week. It is good in the sense that it struck down a ridiculously restrictive gun law in the state of New York. But it did so by setting up courts to now interpret firearm regulation based on what has historically been acceptable in our country. Here's the problem I have with that. Let's, let's look here. Uh, and maybe I can make this a little bit bigger. We'll see. Okay. Let's look at that Second Amendment language. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I'm not sure how the court jumps from shall not be infringed to infringing it as long as it's been done for a long time. So as long as our country and our legislature has screwed up for a long enough period of time, we'll go ahead and say, it's okay, that right can now be infringed. Well, uh, um, what? That's kind of like, if any of you have heard of adverse possession when it comes to real estate, to property, well, as long as you exercise dominion and control, exclusive dominion and control over a piece of property for seven years or 15 years or whatever your um, jurisdiction has, well, then you get to essentially consider yourself the owner of that property. Okay, that seems a little bizarre, but let's look at, can that really happen in terms of our rights that are enshrined and protected and guaranteed and secured by our constitution? Uh, no, it doesn't say that, you know, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed unless the infringement has been happening for so long that we're just now going to accept it. Um, again, uh, I threw in there elements of the Michigan Constitution um, and, oh yeah, I put that out of order. Anyway, uh, the Florida Constitution. Um, so the right of the people to keep and bear arms um, is also uh, protected in the state constitutions I just mentioned. And um, also, though, we have those unenumerated rights, rights retained by the people. Uh, that's very important. So, um, in fact, there's a commonality that I'm going to close out with for all of these cases. Um, that'll get to the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, but um, we'll pause on that. So, again, it, should you have to fill out an application and, and get a license just to carry a firearm when it's clearly a constitutionally protected right? How does that give you um, protection of the law? How does that secure your liberties? 
how is that due process of the law? Because basically what's that, what that's saying is you cannot exercise your right to life, liberty, or property without first getting permission from a government entity, like in the state of Florida. And, and by the way, the state of Florida supposedly, um, where did that go? I thought I had it included in here. Um, what's funny is that the state constitution says, um, you know, that you have the right to keep and bear arms to defend yourself, um, blah, blah, blah. But then it actually um, goes into saying, except that the manner of bearing arms may be regulated by law. And then it gets worse from there. And there is a state law, which I thought I had covered here and printed out and attached, but I, I guess I don't. Um, but there's a law that says you cannot open carry in Florida ever. You can conceal carry if you have a permit, but you cannot open carry ever in Florida. I would like to think that uh, even the legislature in Florida that put that into place now recognizes that's a big no-no and the Supreme Court's decision basically clarifies that that is null and void. It was already null and void, but at any rate, we'll see. Um, again, um, yeah, let's look at the language of the actual constitution. Um, so religious liberty, I actually planned on spending most of my time today talking about this very case, uh, this next one on religious liberty. That decision was, uh, handed down just 27 hours ago now, uh, just yesterday. And um, I wanted to focus on it because it, it has the least amount of attention nationwide um, as all these other ones. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, that didn't didn't quite happen. Oh, I'm losing all kinds of things here. Um, uh, I, I did. I started with the Second Amendment case and uh, talked about some other stuff, I guess, and we didn't get to, to hammer on it. But basically, the facts of that case are that in um, in that case, there was a high school football coach who worked for a public school and he would personally pray at the 50 yard line, bowing his head and, and bending a knee. And he would pray, um, to God for thanking, uh, thanking God for the opportunity to touch the lives of these children and to work with these kids through football and, you know, for how well they had done uh, in the course of the game or, or basically the whatever successes that they had, win or lose. And so um, eventually it got to the point where students um, and people in the community and people, uh, you know, from any, anywhere would come down onto the field and they would pray with him. In fact, students were inviting uh, players from the opposing team to come and pray with them. And uh, there eventually became this, you know, news story and all this press coverage about it in 2015. And the district said, oh, we can't have this because that's establishment of religion. Now, no one was forcing anybody to do it. Um, these were people that chose to join him in his moment of prayer. And he didn't have the microphone, you know, um, I don't know if later on as people came to join him, if he used a microphone so people could hear him, but he was by no way mandating anybody um, to, to do that. And when students were asking if they could join him, he would respond by saying, well, it's a free country. You know, you can do what you, what you would like with that. Um, it's a free country. That's what he would say. He didn't even like so much as encourage uh, people to join him. So, 
Um, what the school district said, though, is that's establishment of religion because he's a public school employee and he's you know still in the course of his duties. And so um, he can't do that. He can't lead students in prayer. He can't even pray by himself. Even if he ignores everybody else around him, he cannot continue to pray in public. He's only allowed to pray behind closed doors. And so he bent over backwards. Try, and this is, by the way, um, someone who had served in the Marine Corps. Uh, somebody has put his life on the line for our liberty. And he put his liberty in, um, you know, on the back burner, so to speak, so that he could continue to reach the lives of these students through football and um, was finding ways that he could, you know, pray um, just, you know, to himself and whatever. And the final straw was when they said to him, listen, you've tried all these things that we've wanted you to do, but you can't even bow your head where another student or member of the public might see you. You can't even do that. And he, he drew the line. And, and so he, he prayed again on the 50 yard line. Um, and so basically they fired him, um, gave him a poor performance evaluation, et cetera. Oh, I, I skipped the part that I skipped that I wanted to let you know of. This was absolutely ridiculous is that the school district, when it made media, um, you know, attention, it was, uh, focused on for a while as a, as a positive thing in the community that people were all welcome to come and join him in this prayer on the football field after the game and they're on the 50 yard line and it's like a very short thing they're just praying and anybody's invited or welcomed or whatever um it's not mandatory you know they're just it's low-key um what the school did in response is they immediately sent out emails telling people no one from the public is allowed on the football field they posted signs and they started um, saying over the loudspeakers at games that you're not allowed on the football field. They did everything they could to stop the public from participating, to stop students, to stop teachers, to stop coaches, to stop the public from exercising their religious liberty. Because they claimed well, that would be establishing a religion. And that's really the direction that this country has gone for quite some time is that, well, you're either, um, you know, uh, it, it's this, you know, tension between if I allow you to exercise your religious freedom, well, then uh, I'm establishing a religion. Uh, no, no, not at all. And the court points that out. Um, there are some actually some really good um, pieces in this decision. Um, so what I found interesting though, um, well, I'm going to apply this to the next one. Um, oops, that's the wrong case. Um, so where'd it go? Oh, I guess it's, it's somewhere I wanted to share with you guys, but, um, so the main holding in that case is that the free exercise and free speech clauses in the first amendment do protect an individual's right to engage in uh, personal religious observance and that they cannot then be punished by the government. The Constitution neither mandates nor permits the government to suppress such religious expression. And uh, the court reiterates that, and this is something that has already been talked about in a case, I forget the year, but um, Tinker v. Des Moines, 
but it's been around for a while. So the court reiterated um, the statement from that case that the First Amendment's protections extend to include teachers and students, neither of whom shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. So keep that in mind. Now, then the court basically started focusing on, okay, well, is the employee speaking as is a teacher or school bus driver or whomever, are they speaking as a private citizen or are they speaking as a government official? Are they speaking on behalf of the school district or on behalf of whatever, the public entity? That's where the court started um, kind of making some of those um, distinctions or, or whatever. And the problem with that is our country is actually founded on the belief in God and our rights and our liberties don't come from the government. They come from God. So when you say the government has to ignore God or be um, agnostic or, or neutral towards the existence of God, that is totally ridiculous and completely ignores the text of the constitution, the text of, um, I believe all of our state constitutions, uh, the text of the declaration of independence. And it, it, throws out the whole purpose of government is literally to protect our God-given liberties. If we can't, as a government, acknowledge God, then how can there be true liberty? But at any rate, it's, uh, there's a whole discussion that I wanted to have with you on that point, but um, we'll have to continue that discussion uh, later on. I do have that in um you know, in this, uh, the, the set of notes here. Um, okay. So quickly with the abortion case quickly, and we're going to have to revisit this because it's important and we can't go much longer than what we are right now, but we need to cover this. Um, so that's the Dobbs case, jo Dobbs v. Jackson women's health organization. Uh, it's a case coming out of Mississippi. It's actually challenging a statute that's only protecting, um, babies that are uh, 15 weeks of gestational age and older. So anyone less than that, any baby younger than 15 gestational weeks is not even protected by this statute. Um, the court says some interesting things. Obviously, if you haven't heard, uh, Roe v. Wade and uh, Casey are overruled. Those cases, those precedent uh, pieces are... Um, they're overruled. They're gone. Um, and um, I'm just trying to scroll here down to, oh, let's see. Um, okay. So at least there's some relevant stuff on the screen since I'm skipping a lot of what I wanted to go over. I at least wanted to have you be able to reference some key points. Um, the court talked about, you know, really the whole case is, is focused on abortion as a right. Is abortion a right guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution? And what the court said is, no, it's not. Uh, the court in the past has stretched it to say, oh, it's a privacy right, or it's a, you know, one of those um, unenumerated rights, or it's just, it's guaranteed by the, the due process clause. Um, and so it, it's, it, you look at it in that sense. The problem is then the, the court concluded 
that regulations and prohibitions of abortion are governed by the same standard of review as other health and safety measures. I don't know about you, but I don't know about, uh, well, I don't know about a lot of other health and safety measures that directly negatively impact the life of somebody who's not the patient. I could think of some that have come into play since, so say 2020, but we won't talk about those here because, well, we're on some of mainstream social media. Um, but let's see, what are some of the, um, the court pointed out, this is great. So they're hammering again on historically, what has historically been accepted, right? Um, and so they're saying that um, it wasn't until um, the later part or the latter part of the 20th century, um, it says until the latter part of the 20th century, there was no support, no support in American law for a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. No state constitutional provision recognized such a right. And until a few years before Roe, no federal or state court had recognized such a right, nor had any scholarly treatise, right? People that just study the law and, and write about it in books for law students to learn. Uh, they had not identified any kind of constitutional right to abortion. Indeed, abortion had had long been a crime in every single state and was a crime at the common law, which then had been replaced as our country developed and our states um, formed and, and were adopted into. Um, anyway, it, it the statutes eventually replaced the common law. And no matter if you look at the common law or you look at state laws, uh, statutes, abortion was always illegal. There was a, a, sta a statute criminalizing abortion in every single state by the time the due process clause was adopted into the constitution, at least the 14th amendment. Um, and then in fact, the court points out by the time the 14th amendment was adopted, 75% of the states had made abortion a crime at any stage of pregnancy. Not just with the Mississippi statute that we're talking about that, you know, skips forward as you get closer to um, or into your second trimester. No, this is saying that at the time the 14th Amendment was adopted, 75% of states had a law on the books that made it illegal to have an abortion at any stage of pregnancy. That's what our historical traditions have shown to us. Um, and it said that that consensus endured until the day Roe was decided. It wasn't until Roe v. Wade was decided that any state changed their course on that topic. So, um, it's funny that they talk about, 
um, you know, this right to privacy and uh, case the Casey case uh, described it as the freedom to make intimate and personal choices that are central to personal dignity and autonomy. But yet the people who are advocating for abortion based on those philosophies are the same people that don't agree that we should have um, the freedom to make intimate and personal choices about other medical care, such as jabs and masks and whatnot, um, that are central to personal dignity and autonomy. Huh. I would think those should be the same. What's good for the goose is good for the gander there. But um, here's, here's an interesting statement that the court makes. Ordered liberty. Ordered liberty sets limits and defines the boundary between competing interests. Okay, that I agree with, right? Because in fact, that's what the whole purpose of government is. It's to protect and secure our individual liberties so that if I'm out there and I'm uh, remodeling my house and my property and I'm doing a bunch of stuff, I'm digging a moat and uh, I'm, I bought it from somebody who was using it as a junkyard. So there's a bunch of trash and old paint cans and uh, old batteries and you name it, I, like tons of toxic stuff. Yeah, that lead-based paint, all of it, right? It's all over my property. And I, I have the right to do with what I want to with my property. So I clean it up. And by way of cleaning it up, I decide that I'm just going to move all of the toxic materials over to my neighbor's property. Um, let's say Lori's my neighbor. She better be soon. But anyway, um, as she spits out her coffee. So, um, so let's say Lori's my neighbor. And so I've dumped all that toxic stuff onto her property. Well, I have the right to remove from my property um, something that's toxic, right? So I can breathe fresh air and drink fresh water, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we all we all could agree to that. But I don't have the right to dump it all on her property, right? So in the exercise of our own individual liberties, we cannot infringe upon the individual liberties of others. That's the main premise of government. That's why we have an organized society. That's why we have laws, okay? That's why we have a government. So the court does a good job recognizing that, but then... So then it talks about that the people, okay, so then it says that Roe and Casey each struck a particular balance between the interests of a woman who wants an abortion and the interests of what the case is called potential life. But the people, and this is where I disagree with this court, the people of the various states may evaluate those interests differently. The nation's historical understanding of ordered liberty does not prevent the people's elected representatives from deciding how abortion should be regulated. Now, as a general sense, I would say, as a general sense, thank you to my pharmacy for letting me know my prescription is ready to pick up. Um, anyway, as a general sense, I would say um, that... I agree with with that, that our elected representatives um, are, you know, not prohibited from deciding the ins and outs, basically what 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 um, penalties there would be for um, somebody who's convicted of, you know, uh, of committing um, an abortion. Right. 
um, of a doctor who's uh, performing abortions, for example, um, it, that it would be a state's interests, not state's rights, it's a different topic that doesn't exist, but anyway, um, it would be up to the states to determine what the punishment should be, right? Just the same as the state is the one who determines um, what the punishment for murder is, right? Unless it's a federal offense tied to something with federal laws. But um, for a state law, for a, a, a typical murder, I guess if you want to think about it that way, um, that you see on law and order, right? Something like that. Uh, that is an offense that is described by um, state law. So, okay, if you commit murder, if you're found guilty of murder, then you have this penalty or this consequence. It is the state legislatures that put that into place. Okay, so it would make sense then if somebody is found guilty of performing abortions, uh, that it's the state legislatures that would decide what the penalty is for that. But as far as actually deciding um, whether abortion is legal or not, or um, at what stages of pregnancy abortion is legal, that is not something that's just up for debate amongst the state legislatures. That, that's not that's not a thing. Why is it not a thing? And this is something that it's strange because this conservative court does a good job about like getting us right to, um, you know, so for example, the older cases are talking about um, an unborn baby as a potential life. But then it points out that in this case, the law is talking about an unborn human being. So the court is basically saying, okay, well, you called it a potential life before, but now we're calling it an unborn human being. Um, and it talks about the fact that neither of the older cases, Roe or Casey, involved the critical moral question posed by abortion, right? Um, and get this, what sharply distinguishes the abortion right from the rights talked about by those other cases is something that both of those older cases acknowledged. Abortion is different because it destroys what Roe called a potential life and what the law challenged in this case calls an unborn human being. So this court goes so far as to say, okay, Roe and Casey decided, um, you know, that abortion is legal and it's a right and all this stuff based on a whole bunch of really bad stuff and, and bad analysis and bad historical recollection and all kinds of other things. Right. But one of the things that they did was um, they 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 recognized, you know, that an abortion ends the unborn child's life. But, you know, of course, Roe called it a potential life so that they could say it's okay to, to do this. Um, but this court says, okay, all those other examples that you relied on, all the other rights that you're saying are analogous to the right to have an abortion, how you're justifying the right to have an abortion through these analogies, all of those rights are different. All of those examples and analogies and circumstances are different because none of those kill anybody else. In this particular instance, this right to an abortion 
kills. It necessarily involves the murdering of another human being. The court went that far. So what I don't understand is why they left the analysis there. Uh, you know, so the court says, um, again, this is a good thing. Okay, well, stare decisis, the fact that there is a case precedent that said abortion is a, is a right, um, it's at its weakest when the court interprets the Constitution, right? Instead of just applying the Constitution to that particular set of facts, when the, when the court is instead interpreting the Constitution, then we can't just keep relying on case precedent as the gospel, right? Because it's not. Um, so that's good. In fact, the court points out that some of the court's most important constitutional decisions have actually overturned prior precedents. Brown v. Board of Education overturned Plessy v. Ferguson and all the other cases like it. And um, I don't remember if it was this case. Well, it might have been um, episode 15 where I was talking about um, the abortion topic, where um, I talked about many examples of bad precedent where the court simply got it wrong. Our nation's highest court simply got it wrong and nobody would disagree. Um, so this, in this opinion, they're recognizing some of that. But unfortunately, um, and okay, here's another thing. The court says that the viability line is, is arbitrary. In fact, um, it says that Casey and Roe, you know, they made that the central rule, right? Focusing on the point of a, of a baby's viability. But viability has not found much support among philosophers or ethicists who have attempted to justify a right to abortion. The most obvious problem with any such argument is that viability has changed over time and is heavily dependent on factors such as medical advances and the availability of quality medical care that have nothing to do with the characteristics of a fetus. Why should you be able to murder somebody because you happen to be on vacation and you're in an area that has poor medical facilities. What? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Well, it it's the same whether you're murdering somebody born or unborn. Um, so, you know, there's stuff I, I wanted to point out here. Um, there's some bad stuff, okay? Uh, one of the bad things, a law regulating abortion, like other health and welfare laws, is entitled to a strong presumption of validity. And I'm not mad that it's, uh, they're saying that a, a, a law regulating abortion is entitled to be presumed a good law. What I'm saying is bad about it is they're saying that's true of other health and welfare laws. We've talked about this. Health and welfare are in the Constitution in the context of being able to regulate and mandate things for us? Really? Where? And yet they're saying health and welfare laws are uh, presumed to be valid. That if you're challenging a health or welfare law, you have a huge burden you have to overcome. Um, anyway, um, and Again, the abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution, though, does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. 
Okay, it's not the, the citizens of each state don't have to do that. It's already done, which we'll talk about in a second. But again, um, to close out that thought, I'm going to pull from the middle of the court's opinion. The court in Roe v. Wade, by doing what they did, the court short-circuited the democratic process by closing it to the large number of Americans who disagreed with Roe. Wait a minute. Now we're saying what's important is really states' rights and the democratic process, even though those words are not in the Constitution. People created by God are given liberties or rights, and those are protected in several places, if none other than the Ninth Amendment. Governments, whether it be the federal government or state governments or even local governments later on, those governments don't have rights ever. There are no states' rights. They're powers that the people who have rights, that the people have decided to authorize the government to use in order to protect their liberties. States don't have rights. Local governments don't have rights. People do. Now, what kinds of rights? Well, we can look at the Declaration of Independence. We can look at the Due Process Clause. Uh, we can look at the, the Fifth Amendment. We, we can look at the 14th Amendment. We can look at you know your state constitution, right? Um, let's see, best wording here. Oh, I'm trying to skip down. Where'd it go? <laughs> there we go. Due process clause. No person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. If abortion, I'll say, except for the case of a medical emergency where, you know, mom is going to die. So now we're facing the imminent death of someone and we're having to choose which person survives. That's a different story. But when you have a typical abortion, okay, for whatever circumstances, it could be something, a pregnancy that happened inside a marital relationship. It could be something that came out of a one night stand. It could be somebody who um, has no support system or whatever. It could be um, out of a context that was a sexual assault. None of those circumstances justify the murder of an innocent person. Let's put it this way. You have a baby. You have an infant. Can't defend himself, right? He's just a little baby. And... This woman has just, um, she, you know, she's physically near you, in the vicinity of you, and um, she has um, recently, very recently, survived a rape. She has been brutally beaten and attacked, and her life as she knew it is now gone, and she has this new 
post-traumatic stress disorder life, something that'll stay with her forever. Would you be okay with her then murdering your infant? I'm assuming you're going to say no. If you're not okay with that, what about if it was her own infant? What if she's in this horrible abusive relationship and she's tried to get away, but say it's COVID and everything shut down. So that means, you know, domestic abuse shelters and everything too. No, that would never happen. Um, so let's say you have this woman who's tried to get away. She's in this horribly abusive relationship. She has no resources. She can't get out. Her husband or whomever is, um, you know, he's the chief of police or he's in the FBI. And she just like, she has no escape. She's, she's tried and there's just, she, she doesn't know how to get out. She's tried to connect with people in her family or in her church or whatever. And she can't get out. And she has this infant that they have together. She has this child and she definitely knows that is, you know, with this child now, she's going to be stuck dealing with this guy for at least 18 years. So she has this infant and she knows that she doesn't have the resources to be able to care for this child the way that the child deserves to be cared for. Um, maybe because of the abusive um, husband, she's left to live you know, in a destitute fashion. Maybe she doesn't have proper medical care or, um, you know, proper food or nutrition or whatever. Okay. This is an extreme situation we're talking about. And she doesn't, she's not allowed to take the baby to the doctor because he doesn't, he just wants to exercise total control. He has cameras up. He knows if they leave, he's, you know, whatever. Does she have the right? Would you be okay with her killing her own infant to save it from the life that she knows it would be stuck with torture and, um, you know, just emotional abuse and physical abuse and whatever else that would that be okay? Would that be, you know, could she show mercy to her infant uh, and and take the life of her infant in those circumstances. I'm assuming that you're still going to say no, that that's not okay. Well, again, then, that life of that infant, that life of that baby is still a life the same, whether the child is born or unborn. Anyway, our history in our country is founded upon God. Our rights are given to us by God. Our liberties are literally never government given. They are God given, including uh, all those unenumerated rights. But certainly, if you look at the Constitution, we have an undeniable right to life, liberty, and property. And by allowing abortion at any stage but for that life-saving scenario we talked about between choosing between the life of a mother and a life of a baby, barring that situation, there is no reason to say it's okay to murder a child at an earlier or later stage of pregnancy. So what really can be left up to the states? It can't be whether there's um, a, a crime of abortion at all. It can't be at what stage of pregnancy are we going to start saying you can't have an abortion. 
No, killing a child, killing any human being is murder. We each have the right to life. Public opinion and politics doesn't change that. And if the country got it wrong for even a really long time, that's irrelevant. And that's where I want to circle back and close us out with something that came from the language of the Roe v. Wade case, but it applies to all these three cases that we talked about today. Constitutional analysis must begin with the language of the instrument. With the, with the language that's actually, the words that are actually written into the Constitution. This is from the, the Dobbs case. And then it says that Roe, however, was remarkably loose in its treatment of the constitutional text. And I'm going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that as much as the overall like good picture for uh, the right to life, religious liberty, and Second Amendment issues are pushed you know, forward in the right direction with each of these three decisions, I'm here to tell you that unfortunately, in each of these decisions, the high court, the U.S. Supreme Court, missed the mark and they forgot to still focus on the language of the actual Constitution. Let's look at it simply. Uh, in the First Amendment and in the Ninth Amendment, uh, are we protected for our individual um, expression of religious, um, you know, re religious practices? Yes, our religious freedom is protected by the very words of the Constitution. There's no you know, ands, ifs, or buts about it. It's not, it doesn't exist um, outside of the context of it's a right that shall not be infringed. Second Amendment, do you have the right to keep and bear arms? Which means go out publicly with a, a weapon of a, a common, at least a common weapon of self-defense. Yes, you have the right to do that. So statutes like the one challenged in this court case are obviously unconstitutional. Uh, statutes like the one on Florida's books that claim to say you're never allowed to open carry, it violates the literal words of the Constitution. And of course, a right to life. The focus was on the right to an abortion and basically kicking the decision back to the states to decide if and how they want to regulate abortion because there is no federally protected right to an abortion. That's true. There is no federally protected right to an abortion, but there is a federally protected right to life written into the words of the Constitution in more than one spot, predated in the Constitution by the Declaration of Independence, if you're not recognizing that we have an undeniable right to life given to us by God, then you are missing the mark. And you need to study up on your American history, on your Declaration of Independence, and on the U.S. and state constitutions, because that is something that is universal. And how do you figure out what rights are guaranteed to us? You start with the words of the Constitution itself. And if the words of the Constitution are sufficient to explain it, it doesn't leave you going, huh. Then you don't get to have this interpretation. You don't get to add that second layer. 
You don't get to look at historical uh, practices to see, oh, well, we've been regulating this right or that right for, you know, 100 years. So obviously it's constitutional. Uh, no. But we are far longer than I wanted to be. So, um, Lori, can you please, oh, see, I made that way too small. That I thought people were able to see it this whole time. Whatever. Um, and now my my screen is frozen. So let's see if I can. All right. I can't, I can't do anything to the other thing. It's, it's frozen, but are there questions that I did not? Um... There was kind of some talk. I think um, what people maybe get a little confused about is the U.S. Constitution being the supreme law of the land. So each state that is within the United States agrees to that Constitution and therefore then agrees to... I'm not, I'm not thinking other words, but basically if, if, if every person, whether in the womb or outside of the womb, has a right to life in the U.S. Constitution, which it says, then the state also has to afford that right. Does that make sense? I think there's a little confusion on that. And so that's why people are maybe thinking that a state can then still decide, because realistically speaking, based on what the court said federally they don't have the right, then why would the state be able to make that decision? Am I making sense? <laughs> yeah. And in some instances that would be um, applicable off the top of my head. I can't, I can't think of it, but in some instances it may be that the U S constitution doesn't provide a certain right, but let's say a state constitution does. So for example, um, let's say a state constitution, uh, it's enshrined in a state constitution that you can have the right to absentee voting. Um, that would be an example where it's, it's in the state constitution, but the U.S. constitution doesn't have that. Um, so, you know, that's something where you might have uh, a right that exists at a state level, but not at a, a U.S. or nationwide level. But the right to life is something that it is in the U.S. Constitution. So that's, I guess, I, I didn't maybe clearly explain that enough, that the focus of the court was really just on whether there's a right to an abortion in the Constitution. The, the focus of the court was not to say, okay, this right to an abortion, but also the right to life, that there's two parts, and that one the right to life is literally actually in the constitution. And, you know, I didn't have enough time to hammer on it again, because it really takes, you know, like a whole two hours to go over, but states don't have the option, states, local governments, you know, your municipality, your, your township, no, no government has the option to override uh, or regulate or allow or whatever to override protections guaranteed in the U.S. Constitution. If you have a right guaranteed to you in the U.S. Constitution, then the state has to abide by that, whether it's in the language of their own constitution or not. And I'm going to say, I, I could be wrong about this, but I believe the right to life is actually in every single state's constitution. So um, it's not even something that that part is, is hotly debated. But let's look at it this way. Murder, just regular murder. 
let's say the state of Michigan, because Whitmer is on her, you know, tirade about this right to abortion and all that. Let's say there's, you know, um, somebody that just thinks that some people just shouldn't live. So you should be able to murder certain people. It should just be okay. Well, um, the U.S. Constitution, even if the Michigan State Constitution is amended to allow murder, the U.S. Constitution says we have a right to life. Of course you can't just murder people. Of course there cannot be a law that allows for that to happen. Can't be a constitutional provision in a state constitution that allows that to happen. The U.S. Constitution protects your God-given right to life. So, I don't know. Maybe, Lori, maybe that kind of explained it a little bit. I don't know. But you're muted, so. Yeah, I was worried Nephew was going to bark. <laughs> I think uh, I'm having a hard time reading. I think that kind of covers, I mean, I think we could keep going with some of the conversation that's going on in YouTube and you pretty much hit everything as much as you could. Um, that Mike Henry fellow, what was he saying? Did they stop short <laughs> of saying abortion is unconstitutional by denies by denying the right? I think he meant by denying the right to life. So um, he's saying the court didn't say that it's unconstitutional because it denies the right to life. Yes, the court stopped short of that. Um, so I'm just sorry. I, there's, of course, we talked about three different cases. We have Second Amendment rights, religious liberty, right to life, and there's different conversations. Um, and, uh, somebody was talking about their certain states that were listed were states at this time of signing, but I, I guess I don't even see where those, okay. So I'm starting to see some states. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. So. Let's see. Um, I guess really quick, just to just to address the question I think I'm seeing here, um, that if a state has an established religion in terms of, um, you know, you have to be Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or uh, whatever um, from the Christian Reformed Church or, you know, the Church of God or whatever, uh, Baptist. Um, that we that we're establishing a religion, a specific religion, um, and um, you know, uh, religious rituals are required and that kind of thing. Um, attendance at a church is required and all that all that stuff, right? If any of that is um, in the state constitution or state law or in any way made um, a thing by states or local governments. Um, that's definitely a violation of the First Amendment. Absolutely. But acknowledging that we are 
one nation under God, acknowledging that God, Almighty God, gives us our blessings of liberty and we're creating these governments to secure those blessings of liberty is not the establishment of a religion. Um, so I hope that answers the question. Um, Lori, I don't know if you're seeing any others. You said you think we got... Um, <laughs> love to all from Gretchen's ghetto. I love it. Um, so I, I think, I mean, without extending the video much longer, right. we pretty much covered it and we can kind of, I think we'll be able to, when we can go into more detail later, address the other, I don't think there's anything that like stood out. Like I need this answer or else I won't ever understand. So it's just a discussion. I'm sorry, guys. I, I really, I don't know why in my mind, I thought I was going to, I thought I was actually going to be able to give you highlights of, um, in fact, I don't even have, I have the text of one of the full cases in front of me with just one page open because it's the only one that I was, you know, allowing myself to quote from, but I was purposely not having all highlighted marks in front of me because I didn't want to get myself pulled into that because you know how I can be when I'm talking about the constitution or tearing apart a case that's totally unconstitutional or whatever. But somehow I thought I was going to be able to give you the overall view of these three cases and the pieces of the constitution that actually control and um, be able to have a discussion based on that. And, and yet here we are twice as long as we normally would go. Um, and I, I feel like I did not do any of those cases justice. So I apologize. But like I said, um, at least next week and probably one more week after that, we'll be focusing a lot on the Allegan County case and the things that are happening there. And then um, after that, we will go, um, you know, in, in through July and maybe into August, um, we will uh, be discussing these three cases and the implications. I'm sure there's going to be a flurry of different um you know, state statutes being um, amended or enacted or whatever of uh, cases being filed. Um, you know, it, there's a lot that will be happening, hopefully a lot in Florida. If you work for Florida state government at all, uh, I really hope you're going to do your dang job and repeal that totally unconstitutional law because we obviously have a right to open carry in public. Duh. But anyway, that's just, uh, it's just me. Um, so one thing I did want to point out that I don't think I said in the video yet, but we finally have the new website live, restorefreedomkh.com. It, um, is not perfect and it's not done. I have a lot of material I'm putting on there far more than what we had before. The initial website, um, you know, as of last week had something like 47 different you know, individual pages or something like that. I have like 75 or 80 pages already made and I maybe have half of it done. Um, there's just going to be a lot of material, but it's going to be um, more better organized, not butter organized, which Mike only noticed the second time he read it, which was after I sent the email out. So I apologize for that. But he did point out that I do love butter. So um, anyway, it's going to be better 
organized than the website you are used to. Um, and now that we've had time to develop the kinds of things um, that we're offering and, and the topics we're covering and that kind of thing, um, there will be a very easy way to go through and figure out which videos you might want to go back and look at, um, different topics, etc. That Those pages are definitely still being worked on. Um, but uh, a lot of the legal documents and different things are already there. The whole U.S. Constitution is there. I'm also still working on the app, redoing the app, and it's going to be amazing as well. Um, so hang in there with us. If you see links that don't work or things like that, um, you know, I guess you'd be more than welcome to shoot us an email and let us know, hey, you know, I noticed, take a screenshot, hey, this didn't work or something like that. Um, that would be helpful. Otherwise, just be patient with me. I'm not a technology expert, and yet I had to totally figure out how to write a website and do code. I mean, there's huge chunks of code I'm working on. I'm, oh, one of my favorite things to demonstrate with is it's just like, um, but anyway, we will get it done. And, um, oh, I feel like there's something else that I was going to talk about, but Lori, I don't remember what it is. So was there a huge announcement I missed? You're muted. I wasn't really saying anything anyways. I was just making it look like I was, um, oh. <laughs> uh, just, uh, people need to come down to ale again. I know we're going to say that again next week, but uh, on the 7th at 10 and then on the 13th at 9, um, Allegan County Courthouse. Yes, I could definitely use your support. One of the things I kind of hammered on in the um, Newsweek, that I, or Newsweek, the newsletter I sent out for this week um, yesterday, um, which hopefully you can now see why it took me a little bit longer than normal to get the newsletter out because I wanted to cover those three cases. Um, and of course, as I was preparing the newsletter on that included the first two cases, uh, the second or the third case came out and why I needed to be able to cover that too. Um, but anyway, um, the crazy, insane stuff happening with the Allegan County case, it just keeps getting better and better. Uh, no, um, it gets more ridiculous and more absurd as time goes on. The only way we're going to be able to fight back against tyranny is if we band together, whether it's my case, Ryan Kelly's case, um, Adam Heikola's case, whatever. There's all kinds of different situations where you have freedom fighters that have a case in court because the government is not following the Constitution. And those government officials, the judges, the prosecutors, whomever, uh, local officials, law enforcement, they are totally stepping aside uh, and forgetting their, their constitutional oath of office. So the only way we're going to be able to fight back and get our country back um, and protect those God-given constitutionally protected liberties is if we stick together physically and show up and be a force to be reckoned with. So I'd ask for you to join me in Allegan County at the Allegan County District Courthouse on July 7th, which is my husband's birthday and Rachel uh, Atwood's birthday. Um, but anyway, um, join us on uh, July 7th. Um, at 10 a.m. because I have a motion hearing. There's a lot being discussed, uh, a lot of different things being argued in that motion hearing, including my motions to dismiss both charges. Um, and the um, prosecutor has a motion that's being heard that day, etc. cetera. Uh, definitely would be lively. Uh, that's 10 a.m. 
even if you're just present outside of the courthouse, um, like we've had a couple of times before where people um, had, you know, American shirts on or restore freedom signs or whatever. I mean, anything would be helpful uh, to tell them that we're watching. And the prosecutor and the judge, they've commented on it. When people are there physically present and there's a rally, they've commented on it. I mean, the prosecutor argued for a mistrial last July because she knew that people were going to come in support of me. So let's Please, let's let them know we are still watching and paying attention. Um, and July 13th, um, that is a Wednesday, July 13th at 9 a.m. is when the jury trial is scheduled to start. And the judge has said in his most recent order that I am actually number one uh, in the schedule for that day. So um, unless it gets dismissed on the 7th, um, we will be there for the jury trial on the 13th. So I hope to see you all there. Um, and uh, if any of you have any kind of constitution-loving, freedom-fighting organization or church group or whomever that wants to hear about the Constitution, um, let us know because if I'm going to be in Michigan, I might as well talk about any of these issues. So I'd love to do that. Just uh, get in contact with us and we'll set up a time that I can come and speak to your group while I'm there. Or I suppose if you're in any state along the way, if there's an easy way to go from Florida to Michigan through your community, I'll be willing to consider that too. So um, anything else, Laurie? Nope. Okay. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, sorry we took up so much of your time, but hopefully we've been able to fill your brain with all kinds of knowledge and um, be able to uh, empower you to challenge those around you who just uh, are spoon-fed what the media tells them and doesn't bother thinking for themselves on these very important issues. Um, with that being said, this is Lori and it was Mike that were joining us on this episode of Restore Freedom Weekly. And I'm constitutional attorney, Catherine Henry, and I look forward to seeing you uh, throughout the week in our other posts and, and segments and definitely next Tuesday. Thanks everyone. Have a great day.